The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. My, my views were very simple. There should be no mandates, zero concerning COVID. That means no mask mandates, regardless of your vaccination status. That means no, ma- no vaccine mandates. Th- that means no vaccine passports. And I've introduced legislation, a bill to ban vaccine passports. This week, I'm introducing a bill to ban vaccine mandates. And this will, I'm, week, I'm introducing a bill to end mask mandates. Now, there you go, man. Yeah, we, we mandate aircraft engine regulations, but not the virus of the century. Uh, that was everybody's favorite senator, Ted Cruz, a once called a sitcom vampire by a particularly mean writer <laughs> in the UK. That always makes me laugh. Uh, taking, you know, we're giving credit. It is the full libertarian position, but uh, it, it's also, I think, cheap political grandstanding. And when it comes to cheap political grandstanding, if you don't get enough from me and Axelrod, we need to bring in a specialist, a true pro. So, Tell us, tell us, Dr. Axelrod, who's joining us today. And a Texan, a Texan. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Paul Begala, all cattle, no hat. <laughs> so Paul Begala is with us. And who better to interpret Ted Cruz and this moment than he? Good to see you, brother. Thank you for having me, Ax. Great to see you. And Murph, too. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm wearing my, uh, your viewers at home can see my Longhorn uh, t-shirt. Of course, you are, yes. I, I don't own that. anything that does not have either my school's insignia or one of my many son's schools. Even <laughs> if you sit in Virginia as you wear it. But, exactly. Uh, yes. So what do you guys make of this? I mean, we, we have a COVID surge going on right now. We have a vaccine that can prevent you from getting seriously ill. Uh, and we have a surge because a, a lot of people won't take it. And now we have kids going back to school mm-hmm. who can't have the vaccine. And we have Ted Cruz and we have Ron DeSantis. Just pick through all of this, Begala, and the politics of, I mean, we can, let's stipulate the condemnations of really dangerous stupidity. But uh, what, what do you, how do you think they are reading the politics that leads them to idiotic positions like this? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Senator Cruz clearly is positioning himself to run for president again, clearly trying to get the most extreme elements of his base. You know, keep in mind, he's a guy who got beat by Donald Trump the last time around. Uh, uh, Trump uh, falsely accused his father of complicity in the Kennedy assassination, cruelly insulted the appearance of his very attractive wife, uh, Wendy. And yet Ted owes total fealty or gives total fealty to this animal, Trump. Uh, So he's a a man with the— the spine of a jellyfish. And this has real consequence. I, I, it's his problem if he won't even defend his wife and his father. That speaks to his character as a family man. But I have family in Texas. 
I have lots of family and friends in Texas, in Austin, where I'm from, where we lived for many years anyway. There's 2.3 million people in the metropolitan area. It has grown so fast, it's kind of outkicked its coverage in terms of health infrastructure. And so with this COVID surge, there were six ICU beds available in the Austin metropolitan region this morning. For 2.3 million people, God forbid my son is in a car accident. God forbid Papa has a stroke. God forbid the school bus going back to school has an accident. We need 20 kids in the ICU. This has real world consequences. And, and for crews to be playing politics like, you know, you can't just get on a plane and go to Cancun to avoid the coronavirus. This is we're all in this together. And I think that's the only sensible message. By the way, that's not a liberal message. It's not a conservative message. Right. It is a profoundly American message to say to people, hey, we're all in this together. Love your neighbor. Take the shot. Put on a mask. We'll get through this together, Texas. And, and I, I think that actually would be a better political argument for him, but he is an awfully uh, talented politician. So maybe he's reading the most uh, principled part of his base correctly, but uh, he's going he's gonna to hurt a lot of people. Yeah. I, I th- Well, first of all, I have to inform you, the National Jellyfish Association just <laughs> tweeted that they're incensed at the cheap slur. They compare them to crews. You're going to have a thousand jellyfish outside your driveway in a, in a matter of minutes after this podcast. Well, there. as I grew up swimming in the Gulf of Mexico, you guys, you, you didn't have this in Lake Michigan, Axe. <laughs> you know, you know what you do if you get stung by a jellyfish, of which we have a million off the coast of Galveston where I used to swim. What's that? You pee on it. You pee on your own leg or wherever else the jellyfish happens to sting <laughs> okay, you. Well, Seriously. On behalf of our listeners, I want to thank you for a mental image that many will spend <laughs> two or three days trying to get rid of. But back to Cruz for a minute. Hey, we've uh, all been in politics. We've peed on legs before. <laughs> oh, believe me. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Um, so the uh, Cruz and DeSantis, Governor of Florida, who's, who's also running for president, they all have presidential fever is making the same calculation. And of course, you've seen this on any issue. You know, I'll put aside the my moral outrage too about the right. COVID and, and how this is irresponsible. But, you know, they're all two years out. They're all, or three years, they're all hanging around their staff. They're like, hey, did you hear that Tim Scott was in, you know, Nashua, New Hampshire? We got to go twice. You know, they all compete on ridiculousness early because there's nothing else to do other than obsess with the opposition and compete. So I think Cruz has decided he's in some kind of auction with DeSantis and maybe others set by the Trump predicate. I agree with that, that masks are bad. But like most political strategy, it's dumb to think short term. Mm -hmm. DeSantis, for the rest of his political life, starting six months from now, is lucky to have anything he tries to do start with the question, uh, you had the worst COVID response of any governor in America, sir. So, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. They're digging a hole on the assumption that the Republican primary is going to pivot on whether or not you were against mandates and for masking. And I'm telling you, long term, that's a mistake. Right now, there's some hotheads who will excite, oh, we're doing liberty. We're standing up for America and our personal freedoms by not taking a miracle drug. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a great moronic howl. But in the longer term, uh, he's digging himself in. And what Cruz ought to remember is, unlike many of the Texas Pauls uh, that take pretty conservative positions, he's actually in political trouble in the state. Because when COVID hit, his response as senator was to <laughs> yes. log on to Travelocity. <laughs> you know, that was, that was uh, General Cruz. Uh, he wouldn't have lasted. He, at the Alamo, Cruz would have been a roadrunner cloud. 
you know, running for the hills immediately. So he's got regular voter trouble in a state that is becoming less ruby red. So I think this thing is double dumb in the short term. Yeah, one news will give him an applause line. But longer term, even the Republican primaries, and I think DeSantis in some ways is worse because he's as governor really going to own Florida, which is the epicenter of the new new outbreak. Uh, it's dumb. They're, they're, they're fighting the last war. Uh, and they're they're going to be stained indelibly with this. I, I think that's right. I mean, what does he say to the mom whose child is having an asthma attack and she's got to get into that emergency room? What does he say to her? Oh, sorry, it's filled with COVID patients because I told people not to follow public health. By the way, I I, I used to be a, a pizza cook in Texas and, and I worked at a pizza inn in Houston and uh, another pizza place in Austin. I had to wash my hands after using the bathroom, first offense, you were fired, right? If the manager saw you coming out of the bathroom, you hadn't washed your hands. First offense, you were fired. I didn't have the freedom to make Ted Cruz a pizza (laughs) with hands that had just been in the bathroom, right? I didn't have that freedom. I didn't want that freedom. Public health- Well, I bet you do now, but keep going. (laughs) Public health mandates (laughs) that uh, in the same way that most restaurants will say no shoes, no shirt, no service, right? There's certain public health things that we have to do. Listen, we have all kinds of requirements of us. We stop at traffic lights, right? Our kids do get vaccinated uh, for uh, various diseases. I mean, these have been the norms, and we do it to protect ourselves and to protect each other. But being hacks on tap, I want to bring it back to the politics of this because uh, DeSantis has ridden his defiance of public health recommendations to the top of the, you know, early primary field here. I mean, it is what has made him. And now, you know, he's worried about Christy Nome and others saying that he wasn't, that he wasn't firm enough in resisting public health. And so they're playing a different game. They are not, they're not worried. Uh, They're not even worried, Mike, about the general election in Texas or in in, in Florida. Perhaps uh, DeSantis should, because he he could have a contest there. Yeah, latest polls show a collapse in support for him. Right now, they're all looking at 2024, and it does speak to the gravitational pull of crazy, (laughs) you know, in that party. Well, and and, in the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, who is up in 2022— Uh, I think he's got a slightly different calculus and in a in a strictly Machiavellian way it makes sense. He presided over a collapse of the electric grid in February. Hundreds yeah. of people died. A friend of mine's aunt froze to death in her nursing home. Uh, it was one of the biggest catastrophes, and it was a public policy. If the fact that Oklahoma, which is colder than Texas, could keep the lights on. Oklahoma. You know why Texas doesn't break off and float to the Gulf of Mexico? Because Oklahoma <laughs> sucks. <laughs> the fact that Oklahoma could keep the lights on. You've Texas told that could. joke before. <laughs> yeah, many yeah, times. Tell. Never in Oklahoma. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but this is the thing. He, he failed miserably and people died. And so he's trying to distract from that and divert from that. And I think that's what's animating for Abbott, perhaps. I hate to analyze the guy's motive. Maybe he really, truly believes that uh, the vaccine is bad or masks are bad. But I think that and the voter suppression laws in Texas are for Abbott, the lifeline somehow to distract people from the fact that 700 people died on his watch because he couldn't keep the lights on because he didn't regulate the, the power companies the way even Oklahoma does. Well, he also has a couple of wackadoodles running in the primary against him. Yeah, he's going to win. Yeah, he will. He will. And he should assume that. But I think he, you know, 
this is he's looking over his right shoulder here. Right. But your point is right. There is a we all know perception is reality in politics. There's a perception among some of these Republican polls looking at 2024 that being an anti-mass zealot is the total organizing principle of the Republican primary two and a half years from now. And we will see if that's true. But there's definitely a gravity field now. I think they may perceive it to be stronger than it is. Uh, and that, that'll be the great test, let alone they're burying themselves potentially in general elections. Yeah. Um, but that's what they're thinking to them. It's real simple. And they're all, nobody's going to get to the right of me on masks. Now yeah. I will say about DeSantis, he's been clever in that he was pro vaccine. You know, he didn't do the vaccine is made out right. of blueberries or none of that. He was, he pushed vaccines, but he's always been a hardcore guy in masks or shutting anything down because he's thinking economically that's been Although his he, he He pushed the vaccines, but he also pushed uh, the ban on vaccine passports. Oh yeah. No, any kind of mandate, any kind of control, you're right. He's doing the libertarian argument there, but now he's kind of gone down an alley on the no masking and I don't care what the local officials say on the dictator. And he's got a full revolt going on because Florida is like a third of the national cases right now. Right. And you know, he's got the Republican disease of if you reverse its weakness. And so he's stuck and he's digging himself in. And I think the only solace he has is he's thinking, well, this will make me the most Trumpian guy in a primary. We will see. Speaking of that Republican disease, we got a little clip from uh, governor Asa Hutchinson in Arkansas uh, yesterday, who uh, obviously has found a, a vaccination uh, for that. <laughs> Let's listen to him. Uh, it was an error to sign that law. I, I admit that. Uh, thank goodness uh, if the legislature did not act this week, which they didn't, uh, the court stepped in and held that as unconstitutional. And now we have that local flexibility for schools to make their decision to protect the children based upon uh, the unique circumstances of their district. Yeah, and Dr. Bill Cassidy, who remembers right. the oath he took on day one of Louisiana, where that vaccine is a painful needle, to tell the truth, in a Republican orbit. He's been the same way, criticizing by name Governor DeSantis. So there is a bit of a fissure on this, and I think the fissure is going to grow because, you know, when people start dying, like they're going to in Florida, or the hospitals are overloaded, as Paul referenced in Austin, that breaks through even in, I believe, Republican world. The Republican primary is not as lockstep as people think. You hear about the loud activists. You hear about the loudest voices on the internet. But even the polling on Trump now is showing more and more of a split. And I don't want to jump to our next topic, but here's a pre-transition. Even look at how Trump condemning the infrastructure bill has not killed it with the Republicans in the Senate. Hurt more in the House, I think. But Anyway, so this is going to get litigated, and these guys, I think, are making a dumb bet. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You know, Axe, we've learned in decades on the road fighting in politics that when you're when you're trying to win a campaign or just survive one, nothing beats a good breakfast. Now, what's your secret? Well, I don't want it to be a secret. I want to share this information with everybody. I like this magic spoon, and we've talked about this before. You know, I was a cereal freak as a kid, but you grow up and eating those sugary cereals is not exactly the best thing for you. Mm -hmm. uh, but now comes magic spoon. You know, I've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy food. This is the answer. You know, this is, you want to eat cereal, you don't want those proteins, shakes and powders and so on. Magic Spoon is the answer. Tell them why, Mike. 
Well, Dr. Murphy here to give you the chemical lowdown on Magic Spoon. Zero, get that goose egg, zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of that all-important protein, and only get this, four net grams of carbs in each serving. So you're ready to go to Hollywood because all they fear out here, honesty and carbs. Hmm. 140 calories a serving, which is nothing, even less than the protein shakes I used to take instead. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and again, low-carb. And the great thing is you pick your flavors. You can build your own box or get a variety pack with flavors like cocoa, mm. fruity, mm. frosted, my favorite blueberry, plus peanut butter, and the one everybody loves, cinnamon. And here's some good news for you, brother. They're bringing back cookies and cream and maple oh. waffle permanently. Those are great, man. And it's incredible that you get those flavors and it's still good for you. So go to magicspoon.com slash hacks to grab your delicious cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code hacks at checkout to save $5 off your order. And get this, Magic Spoon is so confident of their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So you eat the cereal, Murphy, and you get happy. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. You know, that's something we've never been able to do with either of our candidates. So Magic Spoon has the edge with a money-back guarantee. Let's ship boxes off right now, yeah. <laughs> Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash hacks and use the code HACKS to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for being one of our beloved sponsors. Let me just say one thing, because everybody has had a chance to uh, express their rage about this. I've got two grandchildren, small children, six and four, starting school today. They are going to wear masks. There are other children in their class who are not going to be wearing masks. I'm fearful for my kids. I mean, I'm glad they're wearing masks, but I'm really, really frightened about exposure, mm -hmm. given how vulnerable children are, uh, not being able to be vaccinated. And, and you know, it is, it is outrageous. And the legislature there has proscribed mask wearing uh, or mask mandates. Uh, you know, I mean, this isn't just about you. How about my freedom? How about my, my grandchildren? Right, right. How about the freedom of my grandchildren to, to live, you know, to not become ill because someone else has decided that they don't want to do it. Yeah, look, shared interest is the whole principle behind public health, behind food and drug. You know, we don't live in a place where people are allowed freedom to the point of destroying the freedom of others. So they, they, it's pseudo-conservatism to argue somehow that this mass thing is about freedom. It, it, it's not at all. I didn't actually have to say that because you guys have spoken to this uh, very eloquently. But like uh, Morris Udall said when he was a freshman congressman, everything that needs to be said has been said, but not everybody has had a chance to say it. So uh, now I know I've said it. We now have a golden motto for Hacks on Tap. So <laughs> let, me, let me do a big push over to infrastructure. Yeah. I ruined your segue before there. Yeah, yeah, that one was wobbly. So I'm going for the, the, the brute force one here. Now <laughs> let's talk about infrastructure. Now, as we sit here, the esteemed U.S. Senate, America's most powerful retirement home, is passing <laughs> yes. a bipartisan, legit bipartisan infrastructure bill with at least a dozen Republican votes, and I think probably in the high teens. 
So what do we make of that? And what do we think will happen in the House? Because I believe the next chapter will be this $3.5 trillion opening bid, in my opinion, crazy-ass spending bill that's going to be a lot tougher to do. Will they all get tangled up, or will the infrastructure bill make it forward? And what's your prediction on the what the $3.5 turns into after it goes through the mansion and cinema a massaging machine. What? What? You guys, you know that Democrat world better than I do. Paul, you you should speak to this before you do. Let Let's just acknowledge that for months Biden was being hectored uh, by people from the left who said that he was a uh, dreamy, nostalgic, naive old guy who was hearkening back to times that didn't exist anymore, and that he could never get Republicans on board, and that he was wasting time. And uh, so, you know, let's acknowledge they were wrong. He was right. Yeah. Uh, yes, the bill is a, the, the bill is a compromise, uh, as almost every piece of legislation is, and as this reconciliation bill will be. But you know, let's give him credit. He uh, oh, absolutely. You know, it's like it's like watching a big semi back into a very small loading dock, and it's good to have people behind the wheel who kind of know how to maneuver. Uh, the machinery. He's been around for 50 years. He has a sense of it. He's got a good team around him, Steve Rochetti, Klein, and others yep, yep. who have done a really good job. And, uh, you know, this is not done yet, as you point out. But, you know, he has a right to take a, a victory lap and a, offer a big I told you so here. By the way, newsflash just came over Twitter. It just passed the Senate. I don't have the final ah. vote. And I agree. Biden gets a lot of credit. But I'm hoping the House Democrats understand the faster they put this thing in law, the better for their president. 69 senators. 69. 19 heroic Republicans, despite Trump saying, I'll campaign against you if you vote for it. That is a sign of change in the GOP and the eternal truth that politicians love oversized scissors to cut red ribbons at bridges. Maybe it's 13 heroic Republicans and six who are scared shitless right now. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. 50 are scared shitless, but 19 decided to do the right thing despite being scared. There's a huge line outside the men's room now in the Senate chamber. <laughs> Can we just step back and talk about within the Democratic Party? Uh, I'm always astonished at how the left can't take yes for an answer. Yeah. This is an enormous win for the left, for the progressive movement of the Democratic Party. When Hillary Clinton ran for president, she proposed the biggest infrastructure package in over a generation, and it was $275 billion. 275. This is 1.2 trillion, yeah, yeah. of which about 550 is brand new spending. With a T. With a T. So yes. this blows anything that any Democrat has proposed in our lifetime out of the water. It is actually, even adjusted for inflation, much more money than the entire Eisenhower interstate highway yep. system cost. This is spectacularly large. It is 550 billion dollars of new spending, 110 of which goes to roads and bridges, 66 goes to rail lines, freight and passenger, $65 billion for rural broadband so that farmers can have high-quality porn just like the city folks. So what's not to like? <laughs> the, left right. should, the left should be turning cartwheels that they've won. But you watch. Some of them, the, I think the less savvy, are going to whine and moan and complain as if this weren't enough. Uh, and, and it's it's spectacular. Let's be clear. One of the reasons, they, I agree with everything you said, but one of the reasons they're going to whine, moan, and complain is because they've watched Mansion, they've watched cinema, and they understand the art of leverage, and they're going to try and leverage some leverage this into the next piece of the reconciliation bill and shoehorn as much as they can get 
into that bill. And they do have some leverage. I mean, everybody, one thing about this Congress is you got a House where uh, uh, Pelosi effectively has a three-vote margin. You've got a Senate uh, that is even, everybody's an entrepreneur to some degree. The question <laughs> is, the question is, and this is goes to your point, Murphy, and, and, and combines with Begalis. I honestly think this is too big to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at some point, People are going to take out their calculators and say, well, you know, if you add uh, $3 trillion to $1.2 trillion, that's $4 trillion. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of investment. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of heartburn between now and whenever this thing goes through because there will be people trying to leverage this and that. And, you know, it's pretty obvious that they can't really alter this infrastructure bill and bring it back to the Senate and hold that coalition together. Right. So uh, Pelosi has her work cut out for her, but, you know, yeah. talk about someone who knows how to back the truck into the, oh, into man. the dock. She's as good as there is. Well, let's do a quick, a step back for a minute and do the, the, the process here and then we can opine about it. So what's going to happen is the Democrats are now going to debate a reconciliation bill on domestic spending, which in theory, they have enough votes to pass. Uh, which could include revenue measures. It's also got something in it about immigration, which is another powder keg. The problem is, can they get all 50 Ds? Well, the more conservative Ds, like Manchin, say it's too much money, which they both hinted at, at $3.5 trillion, which, by the way, is more than three-quarters of the cost of the Second World War to the U.S. government in real dollars. Couldn't resist my favorite factoid. Uh, on the other hand, Bernie or some of the libs could say, no, it's too small. We won't vote. So Senate's going to have a big fight. On the Democratic side, the Republicans are going to sit on the side and clutch their pearls and say, this is going to bankrupt the country and all that. And I'll probably be with them. Then it goes to the House, as David said, where Speaker Pelosi has said to pacify her liberals. And by the way, the Progressive Caucus there is 90 members. So it's not like a couple of cranks with knit ties in the hallway. It's the real deal that we got to do them both. So I think if the Senate thing hits the rocks, will there be a revolt in the House to screw up the infrastructure bill, which I agree is a huge win for Biden and the country. Um, so that's what I'm curious about. What do you guys think will will happen in the Senate going forward? Do you think 3.5 can get done or it'll get shaved down a little, which is my instinct, and how will the progressives react if it turns into 2.9? Yeah, no, I think this is what the battle is about right now. And you, know, you mentioned Bernie Sanders. I think one of the things that's been interesting in this whole process is to watch Bernie Sanders operate now that he has power. Yeah. And now that he sees that he actually, you know, I, I think— you know, Bernie Sanders for 40 or 50 years has been talking about uh, in- including eyeglasses and hearing aids and uh, some of these other elements. There's a third one in there into the uh, into Medicare and have that covered Dental, by I Medicare. Dental, I think, is the third. Dental, right. That is part of this bill. He's about to accomplish something right. that he's been fighting for for decades and decades. That actually will make a meaningful difference in people's lives. What strikes me in watching him is that he has become very, very pragmatic. I think there are others who may not realize that $4 trillion is a lot of money. <laughs> uh, but Bernie uh, apparently has taken his calculator out and has figured that out. And he is he has become very pragmatic. If, if progressives are taking their cues from him, 
you know, I, I think that the likelihood of success is probably pretty high here. I just believe it. Yes, Murphy, that's what the fight's going to be. They're going to say we made all these compromises on infrastructure and we've got to shoehorn all this into this reconciliation package and are our priorities going to get in? And there's going to be a lot of hue and cry uh, throughout this process. I think this is one of the reasons why Pelosi is happy the House is out right now so that there's not all of this uh, stirring in one place on the Hill. But I think that it is too big to fail. I just don't believe at the end of the day that Democrats are going to allow this thing to go down. By the way, there's a, there is also another element of this, which is uh, suburban Democrats in the House who are right. nervous about some of these tax uh, Right, provisions. that'll be the other side of it, how, we, how it's yeah. paid for. And yeah. there's some danger in them, there, Hills. You've also, I talked to a Republican member uh, who had an interesting take, uh, and his view was they got to move fast because if Trump really turns on the windmill, our guys are bigger chickens than the Senate guys are. And there are 50 Repubs who would like to vote for this infrastructure thing. And you can probably get 21 of them tomorrow. But if it, it if this big spending thing takes over the news and the political debate and everything, that number under Trump pressure could cut in half. And then, you know, Nancy can handle eight or nine progressives walking away. But if it's 30 and our guys chicken out and they're only, you know, 12 hours, 15 hours, then could get tough. You could see McCarthy putting on the pressure for people oh, totally. not, not, not to vote for it and to, f- to try and force Pelosi to reconcile all the different elements of her coalition. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think that for McCarthy, and, and it would please Trump, which seems to be McCarthy's reason for being right now. <laughs> all right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. So, Mike, you know, when Simply Safe Home Security's founders, Chad and Eleanor Lawrence, designed their first security system in their kitchen, they did it for a, a very personal reason. Their friends had just had their home broken into. They were struggling to find a security system that was simple to set up and would make them feel safe again. Well, I know the feeling. We've had a little more crime in our neighborhood lately. And my counterfeit life member NRA uh, sticker near the door has not, I think, been enough of a deterrent. So it's time to get an alarm system that I don't need a degree from MIT to install, nor should cost me a ton of money. So tell me about Simply Safe, David. Making people feel safe is what Simply Safe has been doing ever since that moment 15 years ago. A passion to protect people not only drives every engineering detail in its products, but it motivates every interaction with its customers. And the thing is, Mike, Simply Safe just makes it so easy, easy even for jamokes like us. It takes about <laughs> two minutes to customize the system on their website, simplysafe.com slash hacks. Simply Safe has trained security experts ready whenever you need them, whether that's during a fire, a burglary, a medical emergency, or even just when you're setting up the system. There's always someone there, and this is so important, who has your back to keep you safe and make sure you feel safe. You know, I love that they started it from personal experience. That's the kind of entrepreneurial spirit that makes for great companies, and I am going to check them out, as you should too, Hackaroo. So listen, if you're one of our listeners, you can save 20% on your Simply Safe security system, and get this, get your first month free when you sign up for interactive monitoring service. Just visit simplysafe.com slash hacks. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I, S-A-F-E dot com slash hacks to customize your system and start protecting your home and your family. That's simplysafe.com slash hacks. It's a steal. No, wait, no, don't say that. 
Yeah, the, the alarm just went off. <laughs> Just as an aside, I was talking to a uh, former member of Republican member of Congress uh, the other day, and I was ruining the prospect of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House because Republicans have a good chance of winning the House next time. This guy said he's never going to be Speaker of the House. Hmm. And I said, why? And he said, because Trump will screw him in the end like Trump always does. That Trump yeah. will that the, the George P. Co- Bush dagger between the shoulder blades. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was I the agree. example he used. He said, "Look what happened yeah. to George P. He went there and he he uh, kissed the ring and uh, humiliated himself." Trump said, "Thank you very much." Sent him on his way and then uh, knifed him in the back on the way out the door. Yeah, it's the old Stalin story. The the general comes up and says, "You know, Leader Stalin, your your hair looks fantastic today." Oh, thank you very much. And that <laughs> night they shoot the guy and his whole family. What happened? <laughs> I don't like talk about my hair. <laughs> you know, it's a dangerous game. So, Bagala, is that a true story, Murphy? <laughs> there, uh, well, I, I, if I say it's true, then Stalin's relatives will kill me. But I'll tell you, I was at the, and you can look this up on MikeMurphyCommentary.com. I went to the Stalin Museum twenty years ago, and they had a picture of all the young revolutionaries, and they do the old tour with the lady and the, you know, the cardboard clothes. This is Stalin with many young revolutionaries. They loved him as a leader. And there's one guy with wolf eyes staring at you. It's the creepiest thing in the world. The whole museum is the creepiest. Is this world. in Tbilisi? Uh, yeah, it's in Georgia. It's, it's yeah. in Tbilisi. You can actually, I have a picture of myself sitting on his toilet in his armored train car. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of fun stuff I was doing when I was working in Central Europe. But anyway, to end this long story, and I recommend the piece, you either can hear the old Russian national anthem as a soundtrack to it on the website. They killed everybody in the photo over 10 years. Oh my God. Nobody he knew in like high school revolutionary times lived. Well, he certainly would have killed you for sitting on his toilet. Oh, he wants to kill me right now. <laughs> By the way, footnote, the other person who has the matching train car, which was given as a loving gift, dictator to dictator by Stalin, is uh, Kim Jong-il's father, the original Korean dictator. They had matching armored cars to go terrorize the peasants. Wow. But anyway, question for you. Pelosi calls you, Paul, and says, it looks like it's going to be a longer war in this Senate thing. Do I pass the infrastructure thing now to give Biden more muscle to get the big spending fight done and give him a win, but I have to untangle myself, or do I sit there held hostage by this thing and try to pick off member by member? What do you think her strategy ought to be now? Because I think there's a real danger. Even if they get it, the reconciliation is going to slow down, and the stronger Biden is, the better they're going to do on the big spending pie. I, I think first, Nancy Pelosi is the sixth speaker I've either worked with or against. And she's by far the best. I actually think she might be the best speaker in American history, certainly top three. And uh, sort of an underappreciated asset among Democrats. We always look to the presidency and we we, we love our Democratic presidents. But Not underappreciated if you've worked in the White House while she was speaker, I'll tell you that. Absolutely. Or while she wasn't. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. God rest Tom Foley's soul, but please. You can yeah, be Nancy Pelosi over Foley any day of the week. Um, right, right, so, right. So first off, I just, I, I I cannot tell you how much I love and admire her and how glad I am she's there. Second, she knows just the raw politics of this. Set aside the policy. Here's what the Democrats have teed up. Well, first off, look at the Republicans. Actually, you're right. It is highly likely the Republicans take the House, and here's why. They have history on their side, right? The, the newly elected president loses seats Every time for the last 75 years, except 34, uh, Great Depression after the New Deal, 
62 after weeks, four weeks after the Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy picked up a couple of seats, uh, and 02. After yeah. 9-11. Right. So, so thank you picked up, say, I think you, you, you're shortchanging yourself. I think, didn't you pick up seats in 98? In 98, but that's not a newly elected president. Oh, I see. Okay. The fine. first yeah. midterm yes. is just death. It yeah, was for President point. Obama. It was for President Clinton. It was not for President Bush because of 9-11. So the average is 31 seats that the party in the White House loses for a newly elected president, either party. 31. Pelosi can lose five. She's down 30. It's just history. So they have history. They also, of course, have the map-making authority. They control far more maps in the Republican Party than the Democrats do uh, because of, of their success in the state legislative races. Those are really powerful uh, assets. And then third, in a lot of key states, they're passing voter suppression laws, what I believe are voter suppression laws, uh, that are going to restrict the capacity for uh, uh, black and brown and young voters to get in and vote. These are three huge advantages structurally the Republicans have. Democrats Pretty much all they got against that is the president's popularity and economic strength. So if I'm a Democrat, I should wake up every morning and say, what can I do to make Joe Biden more popular? What can I do to make the economy stronger? Both of those are accomplished by passing this bill today, yeah. tomorrow, as soon as possible. Th- those are the two things. And yeah. uh, David, you've been there. I've been there. You know, there's all, all, often great tension between the congressional wing of the party and the White House wing of the party. And they don't always seem to understand that, you know, they're in this thing together, you know. Yeah, they hang together or they hang separately. Absolutely. Right, right. Pelosi gets that. But here's another argument uh, that may be closer to their hearts, which is this, the quicker they pass this stuff, and particularly the infrastructure bill, the quicker they get to be cutting ribbons yes. and announcing totally. uh, progress in their districts. And uh, so, you know, I'm sure she will be selling that message to them as well. But there's going to be, you know, political success compounds. So you can hit a home run, hit a right. home run. That's right. Yeah, You know, but a lot of, you know, some of these, uh, particularly some of these progressive members are not professional politicians. Right. They're activists who became politicians and they want to exact as much as they can. And they, and because the Republicans are likely to take over the house, there is a, this is like the last helicopter out of Saigon. You know, everybody's grabbing for the skid to try and and get their priority on board. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough uh, sledding, but uh, Biden is lucky Pelosi is there. Uh, If there's ever anyone who can uh, land this, it will be it will be her. And I believe, and I've said this before here, it's going to be her final act as speaker. Because I think if she gets this package through, it's not uh, unlikely that she will move on and take an appointment from uh, from the president, maybe ambassador to the, to the Vatican, uh, which would be a great capstone to her career. But she is the person who can get this done. So, guys, while we were yammering. Newsflash. Here we yes, go. Sir. You don't need you don't need regular news media. You can just listen to us seven yeah. hours from yeah. now. We're just going to hang around with you for the rest of your lives and just read off of the bulletins as we get them on our phones. But uh, Andrew Cuomo has announced he will be resigning. Wow. Uh, effective wow. In, in 14 yep. days. Uh, wow. And, you know, Timber. this is... Yeah, well, should we this, put a funeral music bed under now? Just a little somber tones here. As well, well the, the soundtrack nah. from the death of Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> to continue go. with Murph's uh, analogy. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. 
Okay, here's an ad I'm always excited to do about because when we got this wonderful sponsor into our family of excellence, our great sponsors, I arranged with some friends in Detroit to have a few of the units fall off the truck, as we say. And I got to use a pair of these, and I really like them. I'm talking about the fabulous Raycon earbuds. They have a great battery. You get long last out of them. Nothing's worse than having a pair of you know wireless earbuds when the battery dies in the middle of a flight. I hate that. Yeah, yeah, it drives you crazy. And the sound is tremendous, both music and voice. Should you want to listen to something like I don't know, The Axe Files? See? How'd you like that? <laughs> I Sam love that. Yeah, that's great product placement. Yeah. So. The other great thing about it, and then you can tell people how to check them out for themselves, is you don't only get the great battery, the great sound, uh, and the very competitive pricing. They send you a bunch of different gel ear tips, so you can make sure the thing fits right to your ear, which is so important to get a pair of earbuds that both sound great and stay where they're supposed to. Yeah, as you said, Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, which is fantastic, so you can listen to what you want when you want it for a really long time. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands, no small point, but they sound just as good. And Murphy, you can attest to that. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Give them a try and you'll see what we mean. And with that long battery life, you could listen to, I don't know, 30 Hacks on Tap episodes in a row <laughs> and saying. still have time yeah. to yeah, still have time to go on a relaxation <laughs> music album to un- unwind from what you just experienced. So check it out. Create your own soundtrack with Raycon. Right now, our listeners here at Hacks on Tap can get this 15% off their Raycon order at the already great low price. Wow. All you got to do is go to buyraycon.com slash hacks. That's buyraycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash hacks to save 15% on your new Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash hacks. By the way, I'm announcing my exploratory committee now to look at running for governor of the great empire state of New York. Well, listen, the thing that's, you know, Andrew Cuomo is the most pugnacious uh, politician that I've ever met. I, I worked for him once in the past when he ran for attorney general. Paul worked with him when he was in the cabinet. Yeah, He is a guy who, he, he his first instinct is to fight. And I'm sure his instinct here was to fight. And in fact, right before we started recording this podcast, I was watching his lawyer on television trying to disqualify or discredit the testimony that was offered by the young woman who said she was groped, which is always a bad way to go. So what's interesting to me is that his lawyer's out there, and an hour later, uh, he's announcing his resignation. And I just think that, you know, he had an impossible road to hoe here. You know, the bricks were just too many. And yeah, this was coming. Yeah. The surprise here is there wasn't a 30 day last stand with him, you know, doing the Tony Montana scene from Scarface. But he know, but you know, the thing is, what do we say about crisis communications? Figure out where you have to go and get there as fast as possible. Right. Right. And I think that uh, what he probably became convinced of grudgingly was they were going to throw his ass out of there. I yeah, mean, no, it was clear. And this was the the problem with being Cuomo. When you operate with the bludgeon and thumbscrew and scream method in politics over time, you have no friends. So right. when you're in trouble, that your your so-called allies not only won't help you, they just sit around and say, how fast can we kill the guy? 
because as a wounded animal, he's even more, de- you know, dangerous. So here we well, go. And, and he became, a, you know, at, he had a reign of terror in Albany. The, the legislature was uh, frightened of him. And now I think they're frightened of, of their own seats and their own concerns. I mean, he became a liability right. and he had to go. But, but this may quickly uh, just, this may be, I've used this joke a lot. Maybe I have before, but this is going to be like the old Hollywood joke about Buddy Rich, the famously savage drummer's funeral. 20,000 people showed up. Why? For Buddy Rich? They wanted to make sure he was dead. So no, <laughs> nobody's going to believe this for the 14 days. Uh, and then they're going to triple check the signature. But well, uh, one of the reasons I think he did this now is he wants to short circuit a bunch of these investigations. Yep. And we'll criminal. see. I mean, there's a criminal probe open in four jurisdictions uh, relative to some of this. And, and I think he's trying, you know. That's where the story goes, David. I, I, yeah, I and it no doesn't idea. go away, right, Paul? I think it, it grinds it, on. Well, it doesn't. My guess, it's, it's a completely uninformed guess just sitting here on a podcast with you guys. But uh, we, uh, we, we traffic in those here. A- a- Andrew's a lawyer <laughs> and a former attorney general. I wonder if he or his lawyers didn't go to Tish James, the current attorney general, and those other prosecutors and say, okay, ladies and gentlemen, global settlement. Don't press any charges on me, and I quit. I think that's a lot of what's been going on. I, I suspect that's the conversation that's been, that's the one thing that I could think of that might cause the governor uh, to, to go ahead and accept the reality and resign. I have no, again, no knowledge, but just having known him a very long time, uh, David, I think your assessment is 100% right, as is Murph's. Um, you know, it's the old adage in politics that he seemed to have never learned, which is that friends come and friends go, but enemies accumulate. Yeah. 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 And he's got plenty. No, I think you're, I think that's exactly what's been going on, Paul, is, uh, you know, he's got bigger concerns than simply giving up his office. And I think they've been uh, trying to use what leverage he has to to try and short circuit those. He doesn't want to move from Albany to Attica. Believe it. <laughs> yeah. we, we've all been in, you know, the, the the political crisis meeting in the incumbent's office and you the room is set up by the terms of art you hear at first. It's like this is bad, owns the news cycle. Polls are going to drop. Christ, we may get a primary now. This could cut off the money. The reelectors look really tough. But the minute somebody says criminalization, right. the room empties out. Everybody <laughs> quits or hires a lawyer. <laughs> you know, right. the campaign thing is over. And and that word has been brought up in the last week in Cuomoville, and I think he's he's doing the old strategic retreat to dig in and try to survive that, and it's no longer about governor politics. You know, when his chief of staff quit on Sunday right. night, uh, I think that was a very strong signal of exactly uh, exactly what you're saying. Now, the uh, I will say the one of the things I noticed in the in the Times uh, yesterday was they did a big profile of Kathy Hochul, the uh, the lieutenant governor, who's been lieutenant governor for seven years, who will now become the governor. And it shows you just how low profile she was, that they actually ran a pronunciation guide to her name, <laughs> uh, along with a story about the, the, the woman who was about to become governor. But uh, well, there in, you in have the, it. In the great governor tradition, I'm sure Cuomo loved that low profile part. You know, we've seen, I remember Tommy Thompson's lieutenant governor, every year they'd shrink their office until it was basically <laughs> the size of a phone booth, hoping they'd never show up. So, uh, but now you're going to have a big, tough, Democratic jungle fight for that governorship, yeah, uh, which is a big, powerful, important governorship, and there's going to be very little Republican competition. In which Tish James, the Attorney General, who was a big player in this, could, could could yeah. be yes, could could very well be a candidate, and uh, there there probably will be others as well. 
Before we leave uh, this story about Andrew Cuomo's resignation, we should note what the Cuomo name and what the Cuomo franchise has meant in New York. Yeah, epic. His father, Mario Cuomo, a three-term governor, a towering figure in American politics. Andrew Cuomo, himself a three-term or almost three-term governor for 24 years uh, out of the last, you know, 45 or 40 I guess 40, less. His father was elected in 1982, 39 years. For 24 of the last 39 years, uh, the state of New York has been governed by someone named Cuomo. And so this is really the passing of End a, of a dynasty, right. A, a, great, a ma- major political franchise uh, in American history. And I can tell you one person who's giggling right now and pouring a scotch, which would be the ghost of Ed Koch. The old, the old dynastic rivalry from that famous yeah. primary. Yeah, who Cuomo beat in 82. Mario big Cuomo. rise, big fall. Guys, we ought to hit the mail. I think so. It's listener mailbag. Okay, quick plugs here. First of all, if you've got a mailbag question, just email it to us, hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And if you can't get enough of us, The great Mr. Robert Gibbs and I do a newsletter twice a week, which is free. Can you believe it? Uh, You just have to subscribe. You go to hacksontap.bulletin.com, hacksontap.bulletin.com, and we talk political inside stuff just like here and include some tidbits and links and obscure references you, uh, I think, will enjoy. We couldn't afford Axelrod, but Gibbs and I are doing this one, and check it out at hacksontap.bulletin.com. Keep working at it, boys. I, I may bargain with you, you know, if you, we, we, if you up, your, if up, up your offer significantly. <laughs> we, uh, we're break minimum wage on the next offer. We're looking at it. <laughs> Guys, I got to run and talk about this on uh, CNN. So I designate Begala to handle my question and his own. <laughs> See you later, X. Next See week. you, guys. See you, X. So, Paul, here's question one from Walter for you. What do you think the chances are that Joe Manchin is walking the line so that the door is left open to changing parties and joining the Republican side either after 2022 or in 2024? Zero, or very close to zero. Yeah. Uh, the Democrats may, may push him out by being stupid, but they're not stupid. And particularly a Democratic Party led by Joe Biden is not going to do something so stupid as to push him out. There's zero chance. I've known Manchin Golly, since he was a, a pretty low-ranking, I think he was a state representative, working in Bill Clinton's campaign in 1992, which we won West Virginia with Manchin's help in a landslide. So I've known Joe a very long time. He's an actual Democrat. He cares deeply about bipartisanship. When he was governor, he had a Democratic legislature. He wouldn't sign any bills that didn't have Republican support and co-sponsors too. This is a really important thing for him in his value system. So he's a bipartisan Democrat, but he will always be a Democrat. Save this tape. If he ever switches parties, you can stick it in my ear, but he will never leave the Democratic Party. I think you're totally right. And we're going to do a rare, a, a podcasting first, a Begala doubleheader here <laughs> with a question that would have gone to Axelrod, but he had to go earn $100 for CNN. All right, here we go. From Ryan, let's imagine President Biden doesn't run for reelection. When will he make that official by announcing that decision? Would he wait until after the midterms, say January 2023? Are there any hints or clues we should look for before then? And you can knock this one out of the park because I think I know what your answer is going to be. Yeah, I, it, no president wants to be a lame duck. 
And Joe Biden knows that. He spent eight years in the White House watching uh, President Obama. And I, I think he's definitely running. We were watching him doing everything that he needs to do to go and run. I, I just think that any speculation of the contrary is just going to uh, prove false. He's this guy. He's at the top of his game. I mean, I know he is. He's the oldest person to be president. And I admire and respect that. But holy moly, he's getting stuff done that Obama or Clinton or everybody back to FDR only dreamt of. So he's in the most difficult political environment in my lifetime. He has been remarkably successful. So uh, I, I want him to run, and I'm quite sure he will. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, there's one presidential rule of incumbency, which is the Superman rule. The one thing Superman never does is holds a press conference saying, hey, everybody, today I'm wearing kryptonite underwear. <laughs> and then everybody shoots him. And, wow, Superman's dead. How did we pull that off? Right. You never, ever do anything like that. And I think Biden, health permitting, and there's a good chance that will try to run again. And my guess is, depending on how successful he is in the next two years, they'd be better off with him than if Kamala Harris was the nominee. But that's well, there, can, can I ask so. you about McCain? Because there was yeah. great mythology when McCain was running against Obama. Uh, he was old for that day. But of course, he'd be a spring chicken today. But th- there were people, pundits, uh, otherwise serious people with uh, fancy degrees who were saying that, well, McCain will or should announce that he'll be just a one-term Right, I thought that was preposterous. I'm sure McCain threw whoever suggested that out of the room, didn't he? Yeah, no, he he kept a few moves from the old days in Hanoi, a couple of pliers around for moments like that. No, seriously, <laughs> you know, John knew John was a Paul that you yeah. never undercut yourself. There, there was all there's this romantic attraction in the pundocracy, particularly the pundits who never worked in actual politics. Right. That hey, would it be great if we had a president who said, "All right, I've been inaugurated, so I'm only going to do the right thing and never run again. I want to have a presidency with no politics." And the party leaders at every level then watching this on television spit out their martinis right. because you just cripple yourself. You know, I'm I'm basically going to be a lame duck from day one, so please ignore me. Uh, no, ne- any any politician will never fall for that. These morons who dream of uh, governance, and they always use that word governance, right. governance without politics. You know what governance without politics is? It's physics without math. It can't be done. Politics is the language through which a free society expresses its governance. And right. these idiots right. who say, oh, I don't want that. Okay, try doing physics without a calculator, yeah. or without arithmetic or without calculus. It can't be done. You know, just for a McCain story, so in the 2000 campaign, he was a media darling, and, you know, we were a long shot, but we were, we were having a good ride, and yeah. we were going up the elevator in the New York Times building to uh, do the editorial board meeting. And McCain and I had each other on the floor laughing with a kind of dueling contest of describing the elevated self-view of the New York Times, you know. And now, Senator, we will switch to French, the language of world <laughs> diplomacy, to discuss <laughs> the vast canvas of international affairs. And McCain would be like, and of course, the good of the palace. To use the original term for politics, you know. And so, yes, the punditocracy loves the suicide president, but by, no Paul gets their will. By, by the way, and I'm saying this on the record, on the record, Murph, you were part of that 2000 campaign. Uh, the primaries for the Democrats were largely over. Gore is the only person in history to win every single primary. And so my very, very Democratic wife, an army brat whose father was a remarkable war hero who's in, lying in honor with his fellow heroes in Arlington National Cemetery. So my wife is the child of a hero. She voted for McCain. She oh, crossed great, over great. to the Republican primary to vote for John McCain, who because because you know what? Because he was a badass war hero, and yeah, just like her one dad. One in a million. Yeah. And for the kids of today who uh, don't remember, not only did he crash multiple airplanes, <laughs> as he used to say, I proudly 
intercepted an enemy missile with my plane destroying a perfectly good North Vietnamese missile. He was offered early release in Hanoi, and yes. he refused it. Yes. Sticking to the military code of honor. It's one of those remarkable people I've ever known, and I miss him. All right, last question. I'm going to ask myself because we had a technical thing where we couldn't get Paul the question to ask, but that doesn't matter. Uh, and I'm going to ask myself the softball version of this from Dave Murphy. You're a genius. You're always right. Axelrod's too liberal and always wrong. Now, my roots are in South Dakota, Dave writes, but my career took me to Seattle. Both South Dakota and North Dakota were more blue than red when I was growing up. Four Democratic senators not all that long ago. Which of these states is most likely to have a statewide elected Democrat again? Well, one, I love the Dakotas. They used to be one state. And then it's something that we used to do in American politics. They were cut in half to create more senators. That used to be quite a game the parties would play on each other. The territorial capital, Dave, I bet you know, was Yankton, site of at least 10 years ago, it may not be there anywhere, the nicest fenceless federal prison ever. So to any of our criminal listeners for your white-collar crime, ask for the Yankton Federal Prison Camp. Hometown of Tom Brokaw. Right, exactly. Yankton, exactly. great town. I've been there. So to answer your question, uh, what's happened is all the smart, highly educated, blue, lefty Democrats left for big jobs in Seattle at Microsoft or wherever you are, and your friends from high school are still there working blue-collar jobs and feeling left behind by the liberal Democratic Party on the culture wars. Now, it is more likely that South Dakota may elect a Democrat than North Dakota, which is redder. But until the Democratic Party can learn from Joe Biden and Paul Begala and James Carville that unless you can attract and culturally not scare away white guys who know how to change a tire and aren't afraid to drive a truck, you ain't winning no upper plane states. Uh, Paul, you have a coda to that before we wrap up? Oh, amen. My sort of personal favorite in that region is John Tester in the Senate and then his yeah. former governor, Steve Montana. Bullock. Bullock is, was a governor of Montana. He, he lost running for Senate. He's the only guy I know has done two things, argued before the Supreme Court and gutted a deer. Now, I've only done one of those, and it ain't the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, since Axelrod's gone, I'm going to plug the newsletter one more time. Don't tell. Hacksontap.bulletin.com. It's a lot of fun. A lot of extra stuff in there from Gibbs and I. And Mr. Begala, thank you. It's so great to have you on the show here. I love this podcast, Murph. Thanks for having me. We will drag you back, guaranteed. All right, everybody, thanks. Next week, I think it's me and Ax. It might be me and Gibbs. Anyway, there'll be another one and lots to talk about. So we'll see you then. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. <laughs> <laughs>